Amen. Thank you, Andy. When we think of things uh, around us that are strong, uh, many things might come to mind when we use the word strength, strong. So we might think of steel, we might think of granite, uh, loads of things. We might think of a bodybuilder, uh, just someone or something that is strong. But for many of us, something that maybe would not come to mind is this. This, uh, the egg of a chicken. The egg of a chicken. Actually, one of the strongest things in nature, amazingly engineered to be strong. In fact, I read recently the University of Maryland uh, in the United States, some professors did a research project to determine how much weight a single egg could bear. And so this is key. So if you try this at home, don't blame me. It's key that the egg has to be standing pointing up, right? Not on its side, but pointing up. And so in this research project, they started laying bricks of lead on top of a single egg. Now, each lead brick weighed four and a half kilograms. Four and a half kilograms. The egg was able to hold 25 bricks. That is, uh, I wrote all these numbers down, that is 112 and a half kilograms. 100 in 12.5 kilos held up by an egg. Now, to put that in perspective, as of this morning, I weigh 85.6 kilos. I weigh 85.6 kilos. This can hold 112. So, hypothetically, I could stand on this, and it would hold me. Now, uh, for all my British friends, I'm going to put all this in stone for you. Um, so this egg could hold 17.7 stone. I weigh 13.5 stone, right? That is amazing. The amount of pressure of force that this egg can hold. Now, the shell of an egg is 0.30 millimeters. So the shell of this egg is less than a half a millimeter thick, all right? Now, think about this. This can hold 17.7 stone. It's, it's amazing in that capacity. It's only less than a half a millimeter thick, and yet a baby chick inside of it can push its way out and break it like that. Now, here's the amazing thing. Externally, this is unbelievably strong. Internally, a one-day-old chicken can break it. That is the difference between the book of 1 Peter and the book of 2 Peter. 1 Peter, which we've already looked at, is all about external pressure on the church. And that external pressure we saw when we looked at 1 Peter is called persecution. And, and persecution is the external pressure that is placed upon the church. And here's what we learn in Scripture and in church history. At no point does the egg of the church ever crack to external pressure, ever. In fact, right now, the fastest growing church in the world is in China a place of absolute persecution. Bibles are now once again illegal. Pastors are placed in prison. Underground churches are persecuted. And yet in the midst of external pressure, the fastest growing church in the world is in China. 
Uh, the Lord Jesus said that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against us, right? And so when it comes to external pressure, not only does the church hold up, the church thrives. The church grows. One of the early church fathers, a man by the name of Tertullian, he said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That as the church is persecuted, the church grows. External pressure will not crack us. That's one Peter. Two Peter tells us this, that the pressure from within the church will destroy us. And that pressure is false teaching. And so just as when we looked at 1 Peter, we were looking at how does the church deal with persecution in the midst of the culture in which we live. And 2 Peter, we're going to be looking at the importance of truth and the importance of preserving the truth. Because what we find is this. It's very interesting. In, in the east, in China, and places east, the church is persecuted and it's growing. In the west, the church is collapsing. It's an average, but right now, on average, every seven days, four churches go out of business in the UK. Every seven days. That same average, two new churches are planted so that means every week, by the time we get back next Sunday, there'll be two less churches in this country. And we see that trend throughout the West. And what we find is the church is imploding because of the loss of knowing, preaching, and understanding this book. Amen, church? And so I want us to think about 1 Peter is the external pressure we will not crack. Internal pressure is false teaching, and it is the danger to the church today. And so if you're not there already, uh, I want to invite you to open up to uh, 2 Peter. 2 Peter, uh, and, and uh, as Elijah wrote, uh, read for us, chapter 1. 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1. And kind of our theme for 2 Peter is, is going to be really about remember and remain. Like, remember the Word of God, remember who God is, remember His Word, remember His Spirit, remember who we are, and then remain in Him, remain in the truth. And, and so we're going to begin uh, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. And uh, I want us to read it again, uh, just because it's good, and it just reminds us um, of who the Lord is and, uh, and the power of His Word. All right, so 2 Peter, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The Word of God says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have secured a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life. How? Well, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if, if you possess these qualities increasing in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, therefore, because of all of this, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we love you, we praise you, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is alive and it is true, and we just pray for these next few moments. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our minds and give us understanding. We indeed pray that you would give us knowledge, that we would understand your word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we wouldn't simply be hearers of your word and knowers, but we would be doers. We pray that we would be changed and transformed by your word. And so speak to us now for these next moments we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a reminder for us, the Apostle Peter is in Rome, and it's somewhere around 65 AD. And if you remember from our time in 1 Peter, he's, he's in Rome, and there's intense persecution under the Roman emperor Nero, who is, who is literally feeding Christians to lions in the Roman Colosseum. He's burning them at the stake in his gardens. Remember, Rome has burned to the ground. Nero set Rome on fire so that he could rebuild it. And uh, he was looking for someone to blame, and he blamed this new group, this religious uh, Jewish group called Christians. And so Christians under intense persecution. And so he's written his first letter to Gentile Christians. Those are, uh, those are people who are not Jewish, right? These are Gentile believers. And it, they, they're scattered throughout the region because of persecution. And his first letter, he's written to them saying, you can do it. Like, I know the pressure is great, but you will not crack. By the grace of God, you will be all right. And so he's written to encourage them and to bless them. And now we get to, to Peter, and he, he begins to see that within the church, false teachers begin to arise. As we think of our New Testament, there are 26 books in our New Testament. The vast majority of them were written because of false teachers in the early church. Almost every one of Paul's letters are addressing some type of false teaching. And so this is beginning to happen. Remember, Paul is in Rome at the same time. They're both there. And these false teachers are, are beginning to work inside the church, and the church is beginning to crack from the inside out. And so Peter is now writing to these believers to encourage them. Um, best we know, he probably is, uh, is executed about six months to a year after he writes this. Uh, he will be crucified upside down on a cross. And so these are, his last, these are his last words, his parting words to the church. And it is all about hold on to the truth. And it begins with this word, knowledge. And so the word knowledge is in the book of 2 Peter about 16 times. It's kind of like the word joy in Philippians. It's, it's the theme of the book is knowledge. But it's really important that we understand the Greek definition, this would have been written in Greek because it's a bit different from the way we think of it in English. So in English, if we think of knowledge, we might think of just book smart, right? Just knowing facts, knowing information. But it's much more than that. And so look at, look at this. It literally means to become thoroughly acquainted with, to comprehend thoroughly, accurately, and well. It's actually a word better used not to describe 
uh, book knowledge or intelligence. It's actually more accurate to describe the marriage relationship. All right. And so God's design for a husband and wife. So Christy and I have been married um, 31 years this uh, this summer. And um, and I don't know if we're thoroughly acquainted with one another, but we're on the way. Amen. Christy. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a hesitation there. Um, to be thoroughly acquainted with, it's not about head knowledge. It's about relationship. It's about knowing someone really, really well, right? Which is, I think, one of the reasons the Bible describes the relationship between Jesus and his church as a marriage, right? It's, he already is thoroughly acquainted with us, but it's about us becoming thoroughly acquainted with who he is, all right? And so when Peter talks about knowledge... He doesn't simply mean head, facts and figures. He's talking about all of life, knowing and, and, and being acquainted with. And so this is all going to be in the context of this book, the Bible, right? And so what he's going to say throughout is that God's plan, God's desire for you as a Christian. So everybody grab a Bible and put it in your hand. There should be some on your table. Go on. This is going to be weird, but you'll be all right. Everybody get one, one in the chair, come on, no, 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 everybody has to do this, right, all right, now, kind of hold it up, it's going to get weirder, all right, this is it, God's plan, and keep holding it up, Jez Deering, this is God's plan and purpose for your life, keep holding it, Maxwell Dubnik, thank you, this is God's plan and purpose, that this side of heaven, that you would become thoroughly acquainted with accurately knowing this book. Look at the person beside you and say, God wants you to become thoroughly acquainted with this book. Tell them, go. Okay, put your hands down. Thank you. You guys are really good listeners today. Thank you for that. That's God's plan and purpose for your life. Listen to me. Everybody back up here. Focus on me. Becoming acquainted with this book is more important than how much money you earn. It's more important than your title or position at work. It's more important than your grades in school. It's more important in what postcode you live in. It's more important than what car you drive. It's more important than how much you weigh. It's more important than how tall you are. It's more important than what kind of clothes you have on right now. Becoming thoroughly acquainted with this book is God's plan and purpose for every Christian. It's his plan and purpose. Have you ever met someone who was thoroughly acquainted with this book? And I have, and there's just something about being with them. It it, it just, the the glory of the Lord just comes out of their life as they're thoroughly acquainted with this book. And and I I saw an interview with John MacArthur recently, and they were, John MacArthur is now in his 80s. He just just almost passed away a couple weeks ago, and and so he's, he's been quite reflective. And I saw an interview with him recently, and they asked him, what do you think is the greatest need in the church in America today? And without even thinking, he said that the church of God will become reacquainted with this book. Because so much of what comes across as Christian TV and so much as what comes across as the newest thing is absolutely contrary to what's in this book. And, And Peter tells the church, you've got to know it because it's the only way to keep the egg from cracking is to know the book. And so the word knowledge then here is to become thoroughly acquainted with. So we're going to just see three simple truths about growing in this knowledge that he talks about. Number one, we see this. 
as disciples of Jesus, we have received the gift of knowing God and His Word. As disciples of Jesus, we have received the gift of knowing God and His Word. Of knowing God and His Word. And so look what he says here. He says, to those who through, this is verses 1 and 2, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have what? Received a faith as precious as ours. Uh, He says this gift of knowledge, this gift of knowing God and His Word, right? Uh, And by the way, you can't know one without the other, right? Like the the only way I can know about God is to know this Word. And if I know God, I'll want to know the Word. And, And here's what he says. He says, first of all, it's a gift. It is something that we receive, not something we earn. And so to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith, as precious as ours. Now, it's really interesting here because he really could mean one or two things here. He could mean uh, when he says ours, right? So you have received it. He's writing to Gentile believers. So he could be saying that, you know, I'm Peter, I'm Jewish, and you Gentiles have received the same salvation that we've received. And so therefore, Jews and Gentiles who love Jesus are equal. And that would be an amazing message. Or he could be saying that this salvation you have received is the same as ours, saying ours as in the apostles. And so therefore, the the salvation between you and the salvation between the apostles is no different. Can I just say, whichever it is, it's amazing news. Amen? It's amazing news that we have received this as a gift. And so the apostle Paul would write in Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And it is not from yourselves, it is the, say the word, gift of God. And not by works, so that no one can boast. We just need to stop and just thank Jesus that us knowing him and his word is all based upon the fact that he is a loving, gracious God who has given it to us as a gift. Amen? We cannot earn it, right? We, and and, and this, is, this is why we sing. This is why we pray. This is why we shout. This is why we celebrate. Why? Because we have received the gift of knowing God and His Word. I, I, I mean, right now, so on our cul-de-sac, we, we live on a cul-de-sac, and uh, just on our little cul-de-sac, there are 15 homes and six different nationalities on our cul-de-sac. It smells amazing on Saturday when everybody's cooking. Like, it is it's beautiful, Right, but we have a couple of Muslim families on our cul-de-sac, and man, as, as as I pray for them, I was praying for them yesterday, and just thinking about how this month, the month of of Ramadan, they are working towards their salvation, right? And so and so they're not eating during the day, and they're not drinking during the day, and then when Eid comes, they're they're going to give and they're going to do all these things while in an attempt to somehow earn the knowledge of God in His Word. Uh, we, uh, this, this must have been maybe Friday, Max and I were home, just the two of us, and the doorbell rang, and it was the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, uh, and I was in my pajamas, and I did not want to bless them with that view. And so uh, I didn't answer the door, but I prayed for them in my mind. And, and I have spoken with them before. They come to our cul-de-sac a lot. I say, why are you out here? And, and, 
And, and you eventually get to the point where it's about earning something from God. I, I speak to my Mormon friends and neighbors, and, and I say, why, why did you go on a two-year mission, and why do you do all you do as a Mormon? And they say, it's, it's because somehow I'm earning my salvation. I watch the news, and I see President Biden talk about his son who died tragically of cancer, who got last rites, and he says, I know he's in heaven because he did the things the Catholic Church said he had to do. He was baptized, and he got the last rites, and he ticked all the boxes. And what Peter reminds us here is that there is no box we can tick to know God and know his word, but it is the free gift of God. Amen, church? It's the free gift of God, and it is available to all. It is available to all. And so uh, he says we can't work for it. And so can I just say that if if we just stop the message here, man, we could just sing and praise for the rest of the day. Amen? We could just sing and praise him. Why? Because he has given us the gift of salvation. And it is so, so precious. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, right? You didn't work this up. But it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Can, can I tell you what? Uh, we, we can't take any credit or pride for knowing God or this word. All the glory goes to him, right? The glory goes to the one who gives the gift, not to the one who receives it right? The glory goes to the one who gives the gift, not to the one who receives it. And so we see, first of all, that as disciples of Jesus, we've received the gift of knowing God and his word. Secondly, we see this church that as disciples of Jesus, we are empowered to grow in our knowledge of God and his word. So we see gift, and now we see grow. As disciples of Jesus, we are Empowered to grow in our knowledge, our knowledge of God and His Word. Uh, I want us to think of the gift as this. I want, I want you to think of it as a plant. I want you to think of it as a plant. This was a couple of years ago. A friend gave me a little cactus, right? And, uh, and, and it was beautiful, uh, but now I was a dad, right? Like I'm a cactus dad, and I've got responsibilities. Like I have to like talk to it and love it and um, you know, feed it and water it and make sure it gets sunlight, right? It's not enough just to receive the cactus and go, oh, thank you, that is great, and then put it away and forget about it. What happens to the cactus if I do that? Starts with D, ends in I. Dies, yes, right? What I've, what I've got to do, I've got to take this living gift and I've got to help it grow. Now watch this. This knowledge of knowing God and his word is a living gift. Your salvation is a living gift. My salvation is a living gift. It's not something we just put on a shelf and tick a box and say, done. No, 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 no. It's, it's like a plant. And I have this salvation now, right? So, he, so the psalmist says that he took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. If something is stone, I don't have to water it. I don't have to feed it because it's dead. If something is flesh, I have to feed it and water it because it's alive. Are you with me? And so uh, our salvation is alive. And so we have then to help it grow. And, and here's the amazing thing. And this is what we've kind of been all reflecting on this morning. And it's verse 3. And, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Look what it says. By his, meaning Jesus, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. There's that word again, knowledge. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Right? And so uh, how do I make this faith grow? 
Well, I can't make it grow, right? No more than, than I can make a, a tomato vine grow, right? I can plant it, but God has to make the sunshine. God has to make the water, you know, fall. He makes it grow, right? And so God gives us this gift, but then He makes it grow. And this is powerful, guys. He says He's given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything you need to live for Jesus, you already have by the Holy Spirit and the Word. Let me say that again. Everything you need, everything you need to live for Jesus, you already have. If you are a disciple, if you know and love Jesus, you already have it. It's the Spirit and the Word. Look at the person beside you and say, the Spirit and the Word is enough. Go. Man, do, do you believe that? Like, I think, I think especially in the West, sometimes we're looking for that extra thing, right? We're chasing after that extra thing, that new thing. And there's nothing new under the sun. Everything we have, we already have. And that is the Holy Spirit in this book. And that is enough. Can I tell you what? Um, in China, there are no Bible colleges. There are no seminaries. There's no online training. But you have men and women who meet in secret and threat of life, and they have the Spirit and the Word, and it is enough to produce, by the way, the largest Christian country in the world. Estimates are 10% of the population right now know and love Jesus. The Spirit and the Word are enough, and sometimes in the West, we're always looking for that new experience, or looking for that new book, or looking for that new thing. We already have all that we need. Everything else we would say is just icing on the cake. Amen? The, the books and the conferences, all that stuff is beautiful and we thank God for it. But, but that's just icing on the cake. We already have what we need to make our faith grow. All right? Uh, he, he goes a step further. Uh, it's good stuff. And he says this in verse 4. He says, and because of his glory and excellence, right? It's all because of him. Because of his glory and his excellence, he's so good. He's given us great and precious promises And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. He says we we have the gift of knowledge of God in his word, and now we grow in our knowledge of God in his word, and he's given us all we need by the Spirit and the word. And then he says because he's so good, because he's glorious, and because he's excellent, he has given us great and precious promises. He's talking again about this book. Peter's going to keep coming back to this book, this book, this book, because the false teachers, they're being inundated with them. And so in that day, some of the examples would be, there were those inside the church who were saying that if you were not circumcised, you would not go to heaven. There were those who were saying that Jesus really didn't have a physical body. He was more like a ghost. Uh, there, there, there were those who were saying that uh, Jesus had already come back, the second coming had already happened, and they'd all missed it. Uh, it. It could just go on and on, the list of false teachers. And he just he keeps saying, no, no, look, it's about this book and the promises in it. And so um, estimated, I haven't counted all of them, but estimated how many promises in the Bible, how many promises that God makes his people It's over 30,000. There are over 30,000 promises in the Bible. Promises that God makes to his people. In fact, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, 
the great, uh, the great Baptist, get a word in for Baptist, said this. John Bunyan said, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. That's just good. The pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. Over 30,000 promises. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, right? That's a promise. And we, we could just go on and on and on. And, and then the Lord challenged me and said, like, how many could I name out of the 30,000? Not enough, right? But they're here. They're here. And so uh, they're the things that help us grow in our knowledge. And so uh, knowledge of God in his word is a gift. Knowledge of God in his word is something that we have to nourish. Now, listen carefully. This, this isn't about making us feel guilty. This isn't about us saying, do more, do better. It's, it's simply saying, listen, he's given us what we need, and it's in this book. I, I, I might have shared with you, I think I did a couple years ago, we had a colleague with, the, uh, with our mission agency who was, uh, who was kidnapped in the Middle East. And he was held for about two years by himself, isolated uh, in, in, a, in a cell. And he was finally released. And, um, and when he returned back to America after a couple of months, our guys were able to do a debrief with him. And uh, one of the questions they asked him was, what was one thing you, you wish you had when you were being held hostage for two years? And he, he said, I don't even have to think about that. He said, the one thing I wish I had was more of the Bible memorized. He said, because for two years, I had no Bible. And the only scripture I had was the scripture I had memorized. And I realized it wasn't enough to sustain me for two years. Just thought, wow. Wow, like, Lord, like, help us be people of this book, right, who know it and love it so that, so that we can grow in our knowledge of God and his word. But then lastly, uh, we, uh, by the way, he says grow in these things, right? And we're not going to unpack these individually, uh, but he, he says this, this is what happens when we grow. So I did not know until I received this cactus that cac cacti, is that what you call them? Um, I, I, his name was Bob. I didn't realize that Bob made flowers. You probably knew that. Simon, you're looking at me like you can't believe I didn't know that, right? That, that I didn't know how they what they did, but they, and I can remember seeing Bob one day and he had a flower and I was just like, wow, Bob, tell, how'd that happen, right? Like I've been neglecting you and you've bloomed, right? So when our faith blooms, yeah, because it's growing and things that grow blossom, when our faith blossoms, this is what it looks like. What does it, what does it look like in bloom? Uh, you see the fruit of goodness, you see the fruit of knowledge, right? Knowing God well, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual brotherly affection, and love, right? So my faith is a gift. When it's nurtured by the Spirit in the Word, these are the things that'll grow. These are the things that'll grow. And uh, that's, that's encouraging, because I don't know about you, but I need all of these a lot, right? Right? Uh, here's, here's our last thing, and it's this, number three. 
as disciples of Jesus, we have the gift of knowledge. We have got to see it grow. But then lastly, as disciples of Jesus, we have a guarantee of eternally knowing God in his word. We have a guarantee of eternally knowing God in his word. We have the gift of knowing God in his word. We see growth in knowing God in his word, but now we see a guarantee of knowing God in his word. And so he says this in, uh, in verses 10 and 11. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And then I love this. Like, I was, I was talking to Christy about this this week. Like, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Like, it, it would be amazing enough just to be welcomed into heaven. Amen? Like, that, that will be amazing enough just to, to one day to die, and you're there. You're there with Jesus. You're there with the saints. You are in heaven. That is amazing enough. But this idea that you would receive a rich welcome into the kingdom, isn't that beautiful? That is so beautiful. So I, I can remember the, uh, the first time we went back. So we've, we've been here 16 years. And I remember the first time we, we went back to America, and it had be, been quite a long time, maybe four pushing five years, and it's the first time we went back, and so we had not seen family, and, you know, Kayla and Max were just two and four, and so they had grown a lot, and I remember landing at the airport in America, and we were absolutely exhausted, and we were so tired, and, uh, and, and we land there in South Carolina, and it's, it's on into the evening, maybe 10, 11 at night, and uh, there weren't many people on the plane, and uh, we're walking through kind of an empty airport, and then we get on the escalator, and it's not a big airport at all, and we come down the escalator, and when we get to the bottom, like I can hear my sister screaming, and then I can hear Christy's family screaming, cheering. and when we come around the corner, they've all made like these massive posters, like, welcome back, welcome home, we missed you, and they're cheering. Like I felt a bit like a celeb, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it was pretty awesome. The only thing missing was like sunglasses, like, and they're cheering, and it was just like, ah, oh, I've never had like a welcome like that, right? Can you imagine one day when we get to heaven, can you imagine what it's going to be like to receive a rich welcome? What will it be like? Will the angels be shouting? Will the saints be there to greet us? I, I don't know, but I know this much. When we see Jesus face to face, he embraces us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. It will be the richest welcome we've ever received. Imagine hugging Jesus for the first time with nail-scarred hands and hearing the Lord Jesus say, we've been waiting on you. We've been waiting on you. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. Your mansion's ready. You made the bed. We're so glad you're here. This knowledge of God and his word is a precious gift. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. This knowledge of God and his word is something that we have to, it's delicate, and we, by the power of the Spirit, want to see it grow. But then lastly, we have a guarantee. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. 
And one day we will be in heaven with him for all eternity. Amen, church. Let's pray. Yeah, let's pray. And we're going to worship the Lord, Ben. We're going to sing together. Yeah. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this precious gift of salvation that we cannot earn and we do not deserve. Lord, we thank you that you've given us everything we need to see our knowledge grow, that it might blossom and bear fruit. And we thank you, Jesus, that we have a guarantee that this work you started, you will bring it to completion. And one day we will spend all eternity with you in glory. May we know these truths, may we understand them, and may we be changed by them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to worship the Lord. And as we stand...